How many of y'all glad we get the kids uh, with us this morning? Amen? Yeah. It's cool to see you get to sit with your uh, whole family. And uh, parents, don't worry about it. Right? I know you're going to be like, oh, my kid's being so loud. Nobody cares. Nobody at all cares. We love to hear uh, the sound of them rummaging around. Uh, we also, I guess, purposefully gave them a rattle to uh, use during the service. So everybody hold, all your kids hold up your, uh, yeah, there you go. All right, I got a joke for you. You ready? I got a joke for you. If you think it's funny, rattle your candy cane, okay? Here we go. I haven't even started yet. All right, here it is. You ready? Why is a foot a good Christmas present? Because it makes a great stocking stuffer. <laughs> I got a couple. That's about on par. That's about what I thought, I thought we'd do. But hey, parents, if your baby cries, it's awesome. We love to have your families in here with us. And that includes tonight. We want to invite you back tonight. Uh, totally different. You might be confused since we have two services today. You think, oh, it's the same thing on Sunday morning. It is Sunday night. No, it's a, uh, a totally different and uh, it's one of our most wonderful times of the year to get to come together as a church family for our candlelight service. So let's pray, and then we'll jump into God's Word. Dear Jesus, we love you. We thank you so much for all you've done for us. God, thank you that you uh, came, and you were born of a virgin, God, and you uh, took away our sin and gave us hope and peace and joy. Today, as we celebrate on this Christmas Eve, God, I pray you would stir us up and Change us and, and help us to focus and to give you the attention that you deserve today. We love you so much. In your name we pray. Amen. The Christmas story is uh, a story we have heard so many times. And no, I'm not talking about the one with the BB gun and the kid that licks the pole. That one is weird. How many of y'all like that movie? A Christmas story? All right. Those are the weird people in the room today. That, that every single uh, Christmas Eve growing up, we'd go over to my uncle's and we'd hang out over there and it always was playing on the TV and it uh, scarred me for life. It's a weird movie. But the real Christmas story doesn't begin in the manger or the inn or even with Mary and Joseph. 700 years before the birth of Christ, the prophet Isaiah wrote these familiar words about Jesus, the Messiah that was yet to come. Everybody read this out loud with me, Isaiah 9, 6. Throw it up there, Boston. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and that's what we've been talking about this whole Christmas season. Now, most of the time in the world today, when we think of a prince, we think of some handsome guy that helps women find their shoes, right? But Jesus is a prince with authority. He is powerful and strong. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. But this story didn't start in a manger or even in Isaiah. In fact, the story began all the way back at the beginning of the world. See, by the time this baby boy was wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger, the world had been waiting for a long time for him. 
All of creation led up to this moment where God's word became flesh and dwelled among us. Paul says in Galatians 4, 4, when the fullness of time had come, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of woman. At just the right time, God sent Jesus, born of a virgin. Dennis Clark told me a story of seeing a lady park her car in his neighborhood. She got out and walked to the house. And just after that, a big trailer detached from a truck and smashed right into her car. It was just the right time to get out of that car. And a lot of things had to line up for that sequence to happen. And all of a sudden, we see Jesus come on the scene at just the nick of time. But even though it was the right time, it must have seemed like forever for the people that were waiting for this baby boy to be born. The clock started ticking all the way back in Genesis. We see back in Genesis chapter 2 how God set Adam and Eve up for success. And he gave them everything that they needed physically and everything that they needed for their soul to be at peace. This was before sin was on the, uh, in the picture. Imagine what that would be like, right? To never be tempted, to never be pulled away from God, never to have anything between you and someone else, never to hurt someone or to be hurt. This is what Adam and Eve experienced. Nature and man and creation free from sin. Heaven and earth overlapping. But once sin entered the story, it became the single most detrimental thing to our souls. Sin is enemy number one. Sin is the most destructive force in the universe. All right, kids, I need your help. You ready? When I say sin, you boo it, okay? I'm from Philadelphia, and we boo everything. We boo Santa Claus, all of it. That's what I grew up with. All right, three, two, one, sin. Yeah, there we go. Sin came on the scene and it ruined everything. But as soon as sin is on the scene, so is the Messiah. We see this promise in Genesis chapter 3 that Satan had deceived Eve in the garden. It says this in verse 14 of Genesis chapter 3. The Lord God said to the servant, uh, serpent, because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock, above all beasts, and above the field. On your belly you shall go, and the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. Other translations say seed there. And he shall bruise your head. He's talking to Satan. There's going to be someone that's going to come, and it shall bruise your head, and, he, and you shall bruise his heel. This is a prophecy all the way back in the beginning that a savior would come. And there's something special that's mentioned in this passage where it says the offspring or the seed of a woman. Because most of the time when the Bible references someone that's coming, it would be the seed of a man. Why is this special? Because no man would be involved in Mary's pregnancy. Jesus would be born of a virgin. Only one person in all of history entered the earth this way. The virgin birth was supernatural. That manger, that uh, place in Bethlehem, it was supernatural. God placed that baby in the womb. 
See, humans couldn't produce a savior. God had to step in, fully human, fully divine, ready and willing to take our sin from us and crush Satan. Why? Because sin is enemy number one. Kids, can you help me with another boo? Sin. Yeah. Sin is enemy number one. But the virgin birth took away our division between us and God. And it's important. Adrian Rogers says this. Your salvation is inextricably interwoven with the virgin birth. Why? Because no virgin birth, no deity. No deity, no sinless life. No sinless life, no sacrificial death. No sacrificial death, no salvation. No salvation, we're going to hell. Jesus came to earth that we might be back with God and go to heaven to be with him one day and born of a virgin that we might be born again. Thank God for the virgin birth. Since all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, the people had been waiting for a savior. For thousands of years and hundreds of prophecies, they waited for the Messiah to come. Noah waited. Abraham waited. Moses waited. David waited. Isaiah waited. The prophets waited. All the way up to the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi waited. And all the while, they had the faith that someone was coming. Someone different. Someone who would bring peace. But one of the most difficult times of waiting would have been in the 400 years between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. The intertestamental period, that period where God was silent and he provided no prophet and no prophecies. uh, Generations came and went hoping and waiting for a savior. This must have been a bleak time in history. Hey, kids, how many of you are done waiting for your Christmas presents? You're ready to open them all today, right? Waiting and waiting and waiting. It can seem like forever. Waiting uh, for us can also be a time of pain where we're waiting for God to do something, but he seems silent. Things are bleak and sorrow is real. When will God move? Waiting and waiting. But see, what we learn from the Christmas story is that we can trust God's timing. He said, when the fullness of time came. See, God didn't forget the plan for 400 years and then all of a sudden remember, oh no, I was supposed to send Jesus. No, he had prepared for this moment, the perfect moment. And maybe right now you feel like you're living in between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament and the, the book of Malachi and the book of Matthew, and you're, you're worried that God's silence on some issues will never be broken. When will God move? When will he step in? When will he break the silence? And you're waiting, waiting for real answers to real questions. But what we learn from this story is that God's timing is always perfect. And peace is coming. Luke chapter 2 shows real historical evidence that God planned the perfect time to send his son. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. How many kids like uh, Little Caesars? Same guy. Pizza, pizza guy. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. 
And this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And they all went to be registered, each to his own town. Kyle Eidelman helped me a lot with this, and he says that during those 400 years of silence, God was moving. During this time, Alexander the Great conquered all the known world in just 12 years. This happened around 350 years before Christ. And because he conquered the, the known world, the world basically became Greek in both thought and language. And this is important because for the first time since the Tower of Babel, the world was united with one language. Everyone spoke a little Greek. God was making a way for Jesus to be born into a world where everyone spoke the same language so that messages could be passed quickly. The other reason this was important was the Greeks had translated the Septuagint, which was the first translation taking the words that were in Hebrew and moving them into another language, into the Greek. So this is 280 years before Christ. So everyone spoke a little bit of the same language, and everyone had access to the Bible in that language. The other thing that was special about the Greeks' influence on learning and philosophy is they uh, were known for the Socratic method of learning, which was learning by asking questions, just like Plato and Aristotle and Socrates. And people are beginning to think for themselves and ask big questions about why they're here and what their purpose was. And then just 63 years before Jesus' birth, the Romans took over ruling from the Greeks. And over the last several hundred years, the Romans weren't just sitting there doing nothing. They were making a contribution as well. Because during this silent time between these two books of the Bible in Malachi and Matthew, the Romans were building a massive road system. So big, the world had never seen anything like it. And these were the same roads that Jesus and the disciples and Paul would use to quickly travel the world telling the gospel. But the Romans also were brutal people, and they uh, persecuted the people of Israel, and the Jews fled into every part of the world to escape from that persecution. And they took their Greek translation of the Bible with them. And if it were not for this fact, Christianity would have struggled to ever make it out of Jerusalem. And then just 27 years before Christ's birth, there came a peace over all the world for almost 200 years. And it's known as the Pax Romana. And to this day, it's known as the most peaceful time in all of history. They had the ability to move between regions. There was peace. The time was right. The fullness of time had come. And although God was silent, he was busy. He was preparing the way. And then Caesar commanded that everyone would go to their hometown. And for Joseph, that would have been Bethlehem, fulfilling the prophecy that the Messiah would come out of Bethlehem. The world could speak one language, and they had access to Scripture. They learned to ask questions. They had means to travel, and they had peace. And when this all came together, the fullness of time had come. The world had been waiting for thousands of years. But this first Christmas is evidence for us to trust God's timing. The old preacher once said that God is rarely early, but he is never late. God came all the way down to a manger, and he went all the way up to the cross at just the right time to bring you to himself. 
God is not rushed, but he is perfect. And perfection takes time. So when you're in those periods between, and that's times of waiting, and you feel like you've been waiting forever, remember that just like God had a plan and a perfect time for the Messiah to come, he has a plan and a perfect time for your life as well. He has not forgotten you. He wants to bring peace into your situation. And have faith that God is good and you are not alone. Christmas is the time that we celebrate the coming of the Messiah. The answer to the silence. Things broke when man chose his way over God's way. And we waited for the answer to that problem. And 2,000 years ago, the Prince of Peace broke through the silence and victory was won on the cross through his death and resurrection. And now we're waiting on him to come again and make all things new. Silence can be loud and you might be in that today. But God may be silent, but he is working. And Jesus breaks through that silence. See, we've been talking about peace. And peace is not the absence of conflict, but it's the presence of Jesus. The Messiah is coming to answer your silence as well. Peace is coming, but it's only found in Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. I don't know this morning... As we head into this time of prayer, I don't know what you're waiting for right now. And you might be thinking, I just got to get through these next couple days. That's not how God wants you to celebrate his son. And you might be in that waiting and you're depressed or or you feel broken or you feel lost. You could be waiting for healing peace with a family member or a relationship. It could be waiting for a storm to pass from your life. It could be waiting for answers on that next step in your life. Just know that although God may be silent, he is busy. He is not far away. The Prince of Peace wants to do what he does. He wants you to come to him. All that are weary and heavy laden. And he wants to give you rest. True, lasting, inner and outer peace are only found in him. His time is perfect. Peace will come. In this life or the next, he's seldom early, but he's never late. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. Dear Father, as we take some time here to pray on this Christmas Eve and to double down on the fact that we trust you and we remember that you are in control and that we are not alone, God, I pray That anyone that is suffering silently through this, God, and waiting for something to happen and that hope is deferred and it feels like it's time to give up, God, I pray you would rush into their life with peace and joy. Help them to see your mercy and grace. God, be present with them right now in this moment and through this season. To remember, Emmanuel has come. God with us. God, I pray for that one, Lord, that might not know you today. They might not yet have accepted and put their faith and trust in you. That they would make that choice right now in this moment to recognize that they're a sinner. And to see that you are the answer to that sin and that pain and that sorrow. And that they would put their faith 
in what your son Jesus Christ did on the cross, God in the flesh, and that they would ask for forgiveness, put their faith in you, and, and choose to follow you with their lives. God, thank you for Christmas. Thank you for this time together. God, I pray as we continue to worship you and sing that you would be pleased and honored. Help us to lift up our voices and to lift up our eyes and our heart and realize that you may be silent in this moment, but you are working on our behalf and we are not alone. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand.